Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit SugarHillChurch.com. All right, time for a little, just, just a little honesty here. Are you ready? How many of you in the last 30 days have had a conflict with another person, whether it's work, home, spouse, neighbor? How many of you have had a conflict with somebody? Okay, dude, stood up for it. Well done. Nice. He had a serious conflict with somebody. Now, uh, how many of you weren't listening but would like to try and answer the question if I asked him a second time? Okay, a few of you, very good. Um, I'm not going to do it. I just wanted to check in. So uh, most of us go through life and have conflicts with people. It's just, it's life, isn't it? I mean, some, some of you wake up every morning and you are conflict. I mean, some of you are just born for conflict. Have you ever heard this phrase? Drama just seems to follow me. And when, when a person says that, you know what most of the rest of us say? Duh, right? I mean, we, somebody came into your mind, didn't it? I mean, some of us wake up in the morning and think, what can I change today? And some of us wake up in the morning and think, how can I keep them from changing something today? Right? I mean, some of you, your marriage is grounded in conflict, the way you communicate with one another. I worked with a fellow one time, and he and his wife, the way they communicated with each other was, when I heard it, I thought, my stars, I, they have invited me into a war. And you know how they ended it? Love you. Love you too. And I thought, wow, I did zing. I didn't get it. So I remember asking him, I said, do y'all always talk like that? Yes, why? Oh, okay, got it, got it, okay, yeah. You know, and then I, I see other people. Like, I was talking about this in 930 service, and Greg and Tony Finley were kind of sitting over there where Jenny is, and I looked over there, and they're like, they're like smooching on each other. So I love you, and I, get a room. I mean, you know, come on. And I, I'm, it's everything in between, isn't it? Because our relationships, in many ways, are grounded in how we value other people. And they become up and down based on how those values seem to change. And at times, we allow ourselves to be hurt because of ourselves. And other times, we hurt others and don't even know we did. But I've discovered in Scripture, there are three people who give us a beautiful picture of what we need relationally to succeed in this life. And I find it to be rather fascinating. If you have your Bibles, uh, open up into the New Testament and uh, find the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Uh, if you need to use the table of contents, I'm going to give you a minute to find that. If you have a U version and you're looking it up on your iPad, then I'm going to give you a minute to hit browse and find Acts. And then when you find that, go to the ninth chapter. And in the ninth chapter of Acts, beginning in verse 26, we're going to find this story. And the story, the background is there was a guy named Saul who dedicated his entire life to kill and persecute people who chose to be followers of Jesus. So if you chose to become a follower of Jesus in that time, Saul's number one priority was to destroy you. That was his job. Saul is on, the, on a road to Damascus, and on, on, on this road, he meets God in such a way that it blinds him, and he is called to be now a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the exact opposite of what he was. 
So Paul receives his sight back. He is no longer Saul. He is no longer a murderer of Christians. He is now a Christian. And now his life has caught up with him. And he has gone to go meet and see the disciples of Jesus. And in verse 26, it says, And when he, Paul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. Now that word attempted is a big word. He attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Well, let me ask you a question. If your neighbor hates your guts, do you invite them to your Super Bowl party? No. Why? Because they hate your guts. You don't invite a trip into Ulcer Gulch, do you? You just don't want to do that. That's kind of how the disciples feel. Wait a minute, dude. Your background has caught up with you. You have been trying to kill us and ruin our life. But now listen to how the rest of it goes. And they were all afraid of him. Yeah. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. And then listen to these two words. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So they went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Hence, he became Paul of Tarsus. Now watch this. Had Barnabas never been the encourager to the apostle Paul, the man who wound up writing more than half of the New Testament, I wonder what might would have happened. You know what I've discovered is that all of us need a Barnabas in our life, but all of us need to be a Barnabas. You notice in your handout, there's a place for a little fill in the blank. I believe God has called us to all be a Barnabas. Barnabas stepped up to be an encourager. And by the way, it wasn't the first time. Repeatedly throughout scripture, what we find Barnabas found a way to encourage people. Sociologists have decided that we find what's wrong with people seven times faster than we find what is right with people. Think about that. So if this is the first experience you've ever had with me, you have found seven things wrong with me before you found one thing right with me. And that's probably an accurate ratio in my case. But the fact of the matter is, by nature, we find what's wrong with people. We find what's wrong with people far faster than we find what is right with people. Barnabas, on the other hand, was the guy who found the one thing before he saw the seven. And he spoke up about it. I have learned that most of us need an encourager in our life. I've discovered there are plenty of people in the world who have a perfect plan for my life and can tell me how I'm missing the mark. Have you found the same? Have you discovered that there are plenty of people to tell you what's wrong with you? I, I, I have plenty of people that can tell me what's wrong with me. Like... I. I I love it when people say this, you know, Pastor Chuck, you're just fat. And I'm trying to figure out how do you receive that in love? When, When I hear that, what I want to do is punch you in love. But see, what happens is in our own humanity, by our nature, we're not naturally good encouragers. I mean, some of us are. But, but, but for the most part, we find the seven things. Barnabas was an encourager. You know what I've discovered? This is an amazing thing, and I really want you to get this. I have found that most people can't be encouragers until they've been encouraged. Most of us can't be encouragers until we've been encouraged. Most of us need a Barnabas so that we can be a Barnabas. 
But I would encourage you today, the world is sick and tired of Christians telling the world what's wrong with them rather than trying to encourage them. Rather than trying to assist them and to help them and minister to them and care for them and love them. I met a new friend this week. I think she's one of the coolest people I've ever met. She, she's sitting right there. What, what a cool kid. I, I, I just think, Galen, Galen, really, you're just a cool little girl. And I, I just kind of, I, I'm going to adopt you as one of my own kids. And Galen and I got to chat a little bit today. And you know what she said? She, she said in my office, she said, I'm just ready to get my life together. And you know what, you know what God did? Opened his arms and said, come on, girl, I got you. Let's do this. She didn't even know it. She was an encourager to me. What what about you? Who are you going to encourage this week? By the way, some of us are trapped in toxic relationships with people who can do nothing but find something wrong. You know what I want to say to you? Don't stay that way. If If you pour encouragement on that fire, that fire of toxicity will die and you will become an encourager by being encouraged and you will become encouraged by being an encourager. We all need to be a Barnabas. I'll never forget. I was a young preacher boy, and I mean, I, nobody knew me from Jack. As a matter of fact, at 54, still nobody knows me from Jack. And, but I walked into the room at the Southern Baptist Convention where all of the hobnobs were. And man, I, I bought a new suit. I tied my tie the right way. I mean, I shined my shoes. I mean, you'd never know it by looking at me today, but really, I thought I was something. I walked into this room, and I had this friend. His name was Jay Strack. Jay, Jay was a heroin addict and he, he'd been in broken homes all of his life and just messed up dude. But he came to know Jesus and said, I want to get my life right. And he, and he did. And he became one of the world's greatest youth evangelists, traveled around the world sharing the gospel and was just an amazing guy. And, and I walked in the room and Jay knew all the big shots. And I remember walking in and, and, and when I walked in the room, I saw him over there and he was in the corner with Governor, then Governor George Bush in Dallas, Texas. And I thought, wow, what am I doing here? And across that room, here's what I heard. Chuck, come here. You got to meet this guy. So, you know, I strut over there like I'm somebody, you know, and I, Governor Bush reached out his hand. And here's what Jay Strack said. Governor Bush, you got to get to know this kid. He really is a great guy. And I thought to myself, Jay Strack encouraged me. And look, watch this. He encouraged me when there was nothing I offered him back. There was no reciprocal deal. He just encouraged me. He had no reason to do it, but to encourage me. You know what that taught me? For the rest of my life, I want to encourage you to stay the course. I want to encourage you, you can do this. I want to encourage you that Jesus can and will overcome. I want to encourage you that he can go before you and he can make your crooked path straight and he can do an extraordinary work in your life. He can and he will. And now let me be that encourager because I've been encouraged. Do you know, I talked to him the other day. You know what he said on the phone? Jay said, hey, Chuck, I listened to your sermon the other day online. That was a good word, but that was a good word. He didn't offer me. There's nothing I offer him back. He just encouraged me to keep going. Who are you going to encourage this week? We need to be a Barnabas. But you know, because there was a Barnabas, he, he sought out a Paul. 
I would ask you, if you're going to be a Barnabas, also pursue a Paul. Find somebody in your life that they can help you in, in, in your walk in Christ. Look with me, if you will. Flip the pages over to 1 Timothy for a minute. And, and go ahead and look in your table of contents. Find the book of 1 Timothy and then the fourth chapter. Over in the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 8, here's, here's what Scripture says. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Now listen to the word that he gives Timothy. Paul, encouraged by Barnabas, who goes out and finds a bunch of young guys that he pours his life into, says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. Hey, if you're here today and you're a 20-something, you know what that word is? Don't wait till you're old to decide to change the world. Do it now. Do it now. You know when the day is to choose to get your life in order? Today? You know when the day is to choose to allow God to do something extraordinary through you? Today? Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you of your youth, but set the believers an example. And listen to this, an example in speech, how you talk, conduct, how you act, always in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, encouragement, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of the elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. In other words, Barnabas came along and encouraged Paul. Paul came along and poured his life into Timothy. You see, we all need to be a Barnabas. We all need to pursue a Paul and we all need to teach a Timothy. And when I look at that process, I think to myself, that just is easier than, I mean, that sounds easier than it is. But, but I want to give you this encouragement that if we were to actually be an encourager and be encouraged, then that means there's somebody out there that can help us in our walk. Somebody out there can be a Paul in your life. Who are you going to call, young woman, who are you going to call to help you figure out how to be the best mommy you can be? Who, who are you going to call and set up a time to sit with and figure out, how can I understand what God says in this, in this text? Who am I going to call to help me become a Christian businessman? Who am I going to call that will invest their life in me? You know what I've realized? There are very few people in the world who you can call who can fix everything. But there are people who can help you with a certain thing. A few years ago, I was trying to figure out in my life how to manage my calendar. I knew a fellow who was a, a, a Gwinnett County judge, and he seemed like he always had his act together, always seemed to have his calendar together, never seemed to be rushed, never seemed to be out of control. I called him and I said, man, would you just show me how you do your calendar? And he said, man, I can't really help you. I don't, you know, I don't do that whole mentoring thing. You know, I said, I'm, I, would you sit down with me? Show me how you do it. To this day, I use that system to try to manage my calendar. You know, I... What area in your life do you need to pursue a Paul in your life? You say, well, Chuck, I'm a self-made man. Dumber words have never been spoken. I mean, I, I don't want my signature on my life. I want the signature of my life to be Christ at work in my life. I want the signature of my... You say, I, I don't want you to count on my character. I want you to count on the character of God at work in me. 
We're to be a people who pursue a Paul that that would invest in our life. And then finally, we're, we're going to do what Paul did for Timothy. We're going to pour it into somebody else. When I first uh, when I first became a pastor, there was a fella in uh, Beaumont, Texas. His name was Ralph Burridge, and uh, nobody knows Ralph. He's not a big deal, but I but I called Ralph and I said, Ralph, man, I I I, I want to pastor a church that, that's something unique and special. I I, I want to pastor a church that makes a difference. And he gave me the greatest piece of advice. He said he said Chuck, listen to me. If you want a great church. You better greatly want to love people because you can't preach your way into being a great church. Good thing, huh? I met with a fellow who pastored First Baptist Orlando for years. His name was Jim Henry. I said, Dr. Henry, I want to be a part of a great church, a great ministry. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, you know what, young Chuck? He said, if you want a great ministry, you better want to greatly minister. You better want to do something that nobody else will do if you want God's richest blessings on your life. You know, that's not what I wanted to hear. I wanted him to hear about how I could pick a verse and holler and people would just love it. And then he said two things. He said, you know, if you really want to greatly minister, know people by their name and allow them to disagree with you. Wow. He poured into my life. He, he was appalled to me. Over this past week, I've had the privilege to meet with three or four young guys and sit there and pass that kind of information, that kind of knowledge on to other folk. And you know what that looks a lot like? Don't miss this. It looks a lot like God looking at our life and he sees the mess that we've made of it. But he, he's the great encourager. He says, but I love you anyway. So he sent Jesus so that Jesus could pay the price for our sin. He'd take the punishment we deserve. And he died on the cross and he shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And and he went on and said that all of us who believe in Jesus, that's why we sing that song, his name, wouldn't have to perish but would have everlasting life, life forever, more abundantly today and more eternally forever because of Jesus. And they buried Jesus and three days later he rose from that grave and he pushed that stone away. And on his way to heaven he said, go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, your Creator, in the name of the Son, your Savior, in the name of the Holy Spirit who I'm leaving with you to be your counselor. You know what counselor literally means? To walk beside, to be your great coach to be your disciple maker. You see, even God looked at us and said, you know what I, you need? You need someone to walk beside you. Paul, in all of his relationships, he, he didn't put him in a classroom. You know what Paul did? He walked with people. He walked them through the life, which sounds a lot like what a disciple maker does, just like when the Holy Spirit comes and walks beside you and gives you firm and wonderful counsel. We are to be a Barnabas. We are to pursue a Paul. We are to train a Timothy. I look at that and I think to myself, you know, it's interesting. You know what, you know what the Holy Spirit is in our life? All those things. Because what a coach does, what a disciple maker does is, number one, they're always consistent. You, you don't have to guess at what you get. They're not up and down. You know that they're the same person on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock as they are Friday night at 8 p.m. 
They're the same person. They're the same person that you see on Tuesday night eating at Ippolito's with spaghetti sauce dripping off their chin as they are on Sunday morning when they're singing on platform. They're, they're consistent. But you know what else they are? They're truthful. You know what I found? Somebody who is willing to be a Paul, somebody who's willing to train a Timothy, somebody who wants to be a Barnabas, they will, as Bobby preached last week, speak the truth in love. You know, if I could give you this one, one word, any marriage here, you know what I'd say? Whatever you do, speak the truth in love. Consistency, truthfulness. You know what else I've noticed a coach really is? It's just like the Holy Spirit. It's, it's nearby. It doesn't leave you. It doesn't forsake you. It's there, a relationship that stays, that is consistent, that is here for you. And a coach guides you. This is the way. This is the truth. This is the life. So what's in your relationship wallet today? Are you a Barnabas? Or are you like everybody else that watches American Idol and when that person comes out and sings, says, I can't believe they sang that. I can't believe they wore that. I can't believe you put that hat on. What were they thinking? When's the last time you sang in front of 13 million people? I hear people just fuss and complain about so many things. And I think, well, what, what have we done? What, what if we were to be that church who said, we're going to be a Barnabas to our community? What if we were to be that church that had enough humility to say, I need a Paul in my life? What if we were that church who said, I, I may not have all of my life together, but there's a way I can pour into someone else's life. And it could be that just a companion. It could be just being a friend. It could be someone who could just answer questions. Last night, Jenny and I stopped by a friend's house and had a little dinner and we were talking and one of the nicest guys ever was asking questions about, well, what does the Bible mean by this? What does the Bible mean by that? And I had so much fun just sitting there answering his questions, talking about God. And you know what? He had no idea but what he was doing. He was pursuing a Paul and gave me the opportunity to teach Timothy. What a, what a blessing. What a joy. What an honor. And now here's the beautiful part. Jesus walked along the seashore of your life and called you just like he did his disciples and said, come follow me and we'll change the world. If you're willing to be a Barnabas, pursue a Paul and train a Timothy. But it's on you. What will you do? Will you choose to do those things? So I, I ask you three questions as, as we wrap up today, and that is this. Number one, who are you going to encourage this week? Think right now. Who are you going to encourage this week? Who needs you to give them a word of encouragement? Just think. Because, see, for some of us, it'll be the first time somebody's heard something positive from you. Who are you going to encourage this week? All right, secondly... What area of your life are you going to find a Paul to help you in this week? Who are you going to find to be a Paul to help you this week? What area of need do you have? And you say, well, you know what, Chuck? I've got it all right here. Okay, I, I want to help you with that. Are you ready? You get your notepads out. Here you go. No, you don't. Because most of our lives are in a mess. We need other people. God didn't have, God made no mistake when he made the wonderful diversity in this room. 
I mean, just think about it. I mean, if you look across this room, how incredibly diverse the people in this room are. And God made no mistake when he put us all together to take your strengths to overcome my weaknesses and my strengths to overcome yours. And together, through valuing one another the way God sees us, we might actually be a Barnabas, pursue a Paul, and train a Timothy, and change the world because we are grounded in two things. And that is, we are grounded in truth by faith. Truth by faith. I, it's interesting to me. My friend back there, uh, my friend back there, uh, Linwood Worley. You couldn't find two people a whole lot more different than me and Linwood. But you know, it's interesting because our relationship is grounded in faith, because Christ is at the center of our relationship. Truth is a hallmark of that friendship. But you know what I've learned? Truth doesn't happen in a relationship without faith being at the center of it. You see, Linwood can disagree with me and he and I can remain solid friends. You know why? Because it's grounded in faith and out of faith comes truth and out of truth comes life. What about you? Who are you grounded in faith in? And by the way, you can't be grounded in faith with someone else until you're grounded yourself. So maybe today you need to say, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life and be my Lord, be my Savior. Come clean me up and make me new. I, I want you to be the boss of my life and I want to turn my life around so that I can live for you and you alone. Give me a fresh start and make me new. Maybe that's the prayer and the desire of your heart today. So who are you going to encourage? Who's going to be your Paul? And how are you going to pour Jesus out into someone else this week?